On the block, on demand. They don't know about the Kumbaya meetings we had this week. I may have some news for you in a moment. Without Jerry McNamara, we would have won 10 games this year. Continue standing by. Okay, not 10. 25-footer, yes! Off the glass and in! An assassin, stone cold! Somebody in Vegas told him they were going to win by 20! The Bills make me want to Taylor, going to take his shot, throwing in zone, he's got weapons! Touchdown! They didn't look in the This is On The Block. Here is your host, Brent Axe. Ah! Hey. Air. Yeah, i let you down today. Can't do the big intro. Can't do it. Can't do it. Seth's upset. Yeah, I faked you out a little bit there. I can't do the big intro today. I don't have the voice for it. I I I don't have the voice for it. I just, I, I can't, I can't do it today. I just, it's, it's just not there. Don't have my fastball today. I'm not going to force it. I got two hours to go. I know everybody enjoys the big, loud screaming intro. I'm sure the people out in the, in the office here at Galaxy Communications are, are thankful it didn't happen today. But uh, big show intro or not, we are here. We're glad you're here. And you have many ways that you can listen to this program, which is now on the air. 437-7644 is the number to call. You can hit us on Twitter, Brent Axe Media, Brent Axe Media on Twitter, or the On the Block text line, always a great way to get in touch at 288-0644. You can get in touch those ways. You can listen to the program in many ways as well. You can listen right here on the radio. That's a beautiful thing. You can listen via the ESPN app. We enjoy that. Download the ESPN app, hit the Listen tab, and off you go. Wherever you go, we are with you. Put your little buds in, and wherever you go, except the bathroom, that's kind of gross. We'll go with you via the ESPN app, or you can watch the show now. Hello, everybody, on Facebook Live, Facebook World. We are on Facebook Live. We've been doing this for this show, the Daniel Baldwin Show, Orange Nation. Matt Park's been doing it a little bit in the booth. Hey, you got to keep up with the times, right? Some people are on the Facebook, and that's where they're getting their media, so we bring it to you. Just like our ESPN Syracuse Facebook page, and then you can watch us do this show in the Inner Sanctum. It's kind of cool to see what happens behind the scenes here. And you can see the good-looking Daniel Baldwin do his show. I mean, that is a good-looking human being right there, ladies and gentlemen. The fact that he sits next to Josh from K-Rock makes him all that much more good-looking, right? We've got a couple guests joining us today. We're looking forward to speaking with our buddy Matthew Fairburn from Syracuse.com, NYUp.com, covers the Buffalo Bills and the world of the National Football League. He'll join us in about 15 minutes here in this hour. We'll talk some Bills football. We'll talk playoffs and kind of what to expect heading down the home stretch of the last three weeks of the football season. Later in the show, Bob Nightingale is going to join us from USA Today, covers the world of baseball. It has been a crazy offseason Yankee fans are loving this offseason, as they should, with Stanton. And now could Manny Machado be in the midst for the New York Yankees, who have just become the evil empire once again. And frankly, I I kind of am enjoying that, even as a Red Sox fan. So Bob Nightingale will join us later on to discuss that. Should Eli Manning come back to the Giants next season? 
We'll talk some Syracuse and Georgetown off the top. Hot takes, including something Seth mentioned in the update about Aaron Rodgers coming back. But I do want to start with a little Syracuse-Georgetown. And, and later in the show, I'll kind of get into this on a different angle. And I touched on this a bit on yesterday's show, if you did listen to yesterday's show. But in a lot of ways, I'm kind of over Syracuse-Georgetown. I really am. I think it's run its course. I think it's great that they do play. I mean, would you rather play Georgetown on December 16th or Colgate or Cornell or random school? Why are they on the schedule? So I understand it, and it adds intrigue. It's great for TV. It's on CBS, and the rivalry renewed. I understand. I completely, you don't need me to sell you on that, especially in Syracuse, New York. So I'll focus on that a little bit later in the show, but I'll tell you why I'm over it right now in the here and now because Georgetown is not bringing anything to the table here. If anything, they were slumming it by playing Georgetown. We have seen in recent years how important strength of schedule, RPI, Ken Palm ratings, it's not everything, but it is a measurement that the selection committee looks at. And I know they're modifying how RPI is done and how much they look into it, but it's a factor. What the committee has said loud and clear in the last four years especially, who are you playing? And the rankings and some of those things that I mentioned can help us, the metrics can determine, well, this team is, you know, had the 75th strength of schedule versus this team who had the 94th strength of schedule, therefore that team should get in the tournament. We can, you know, nerds can argue about that stuff. But what the committee has said, no matter how they use the metrics, is who are you playing in non-conference? And we don't care how tough your conference is. If you play in the ACC, if you play in a tough basketball league, you still need to challenge yourself in non-conference play. You still need to show us, the committee, that you aren't just coasting through the first two months of the season, feasting on cupcakes, and then, you know, just doing what you can in conference play. It's not good enough anymore. We know this as well as anybody in Syracuse, New York, seeing a team not so long ago, I think I still have the T-shirt that they gave away on TK99 in my drawer somewhere. The We Got Screwed season, and Syracuse wins 10 games in the Big East and still doesn't get in. That was kind of the beginning of these conversations, the beginning of the shift, the beginning of the committee really putting the screws down on major programs that want an a at-large bid to the tournament saying, okay, well, who'd you play? And as we found out last year, Syracuse did have some teams on their schedule. They abided by what the committee has said. They just didn't beat any of those teams. So this year, Syracuse is on a good track so far. They beat UConn. They're challenging themselves in non-conference play. They lost to Kansas, but that'll still look good in the metrics and who you played and how you played them. They're picking up games, Maryland being another one, getting in these tournaments and ensuring that at least they're giving themselves the opportunity to show the committee, hey, look what we did. So when Syracuse scheduled Georgetown in this series with Georgetown a few years ago, they could not have imagined that they would be playing the worst team in terms of non-conference schedule strength in college basketball. Let me repeat that. As Mike Waters points out today, 
Georgetown has played the easiest schedule in the country. Ken Pomeroy has Georgetown's non-conference strength of schedule at 351. And that is out of 351 Division I teams. Seven of Georgetown's first eight opponents have an RPI of 200 or less, and none are in Ken Palm's top 200. And as Mike points out, in fact, seven of Georgetown's opponents are currently outside Ken Palm's top 300. The only team that Georgetown has played that is in the top 300 is Richmond, who is at number 222. Richmond's RPI is 261. Georgetown's game against Syracuse Saturday will be their first against a top 100 team. Syracuse's RPI is 22 and is ranked 57th by Ken Palm. Syracuse is 8-1 against that schedule. That is ranked 189 by Ken Palm. Okay, so you want that strength of schedule to be better, but if you beat Georgetown, UConn, Maryland, St. Bonaventure, add a, a win or two versus a team that may turn out to be better than we thought, then you're sitting good in terms of non-conference play, and then you know, you've got to get your 10 wins in the ACC. That doesn't change that fact at all. So what are we getting out of playing Georgetown this year, other than nostalgia, other than Patrick Ewing is going to be on that sideline, which is a cool storyline. I will enjoy that as much as anybody, seeing that come full circle. I was sitting in the dome when oranges rained down and hit that backboard with Patrick Ewing at the free throw line. I went to every Syracuse-Georgetown game, I think, in the entire decade of the 1980s. I lived it, I breathed it, I loved it, and there's never going to be anything like it again. You're playing a team. Now, let me be fair, and being fair with Georgetown is not an easy thing to do. If I'm Patrick Ewing and I'm Georgetown, this is what I'm doing. Because I just need to know what it's like to win again. I need to show my players that feeling. They're undefeated right now. As ridiculous as their schedule is, they have started off the year how you would want a team to. And there's two different theories on this. You can either build up a weak team and give them what amounts to empty calories and then start scheduling. You can't get any easier than their schedule now, so they'll have to start scheduling harder as they go here. Or you take the hottest fire as the strongest deal approach. Now, normally teams that do that, remember when Syracuse played Texas Southern earlier this season? Texas Southern loaded their non-conference schedule. They have gone from sea to shining sea. They played Gonzaga. They played Ohio State. They don't play a home game, Texas Southern, until New Year's Day. Because it's great for their resolve, it's great for competition, it's also good for, you know, the bank. Because of the money they make from all the payments they get from the, the teams they're playing, Syracuse included. Well, Georgetown went the other way and put together one of the most pathetic non-conference schedules, perhaps in the history of college basketball. If you're Patrick Ewing and you're Georgetown and you need to teach a team, at least from bare bones on up, what it feels like to win again, I guess I can't blame you for that. But Syracuse is now playing a team that is 351 out of 351 
non-conference schedule. What does that do for you? Other than, hey, we're on CBS again. Did they brush off Billy Packer to come in and call this game with Jim Nance? That's just ridiculous. There are teams that have not won a basketball game this year that are better than that for Georgetown. Again, metrics are not everything. RPI, strength of schedule, it's part of the process. So at least in name brand, when the committee looks at it, they'll say, well, Syracuse beat Georgetown if, in fact, they do beat Georgetown on Saturday, which I think they should. We'll discuss Georgetown a little more nuts and bolts as we get closer to the game on Saturday. they got a great center, but by and large, Syracuse is a more talented team and should win this game. So I hope you're enjoying the stroll down memory lane. I hope you're enjoying everything that comes with this and Patrick Ewing being on the other sideline and you know brush off the top 10 moments in Syracuse-Georgetown history. It's better than some random team like, say, that Georgetown schedules every year. I understand that, and I'm with you there, but you're playing a team that's got a god-awful non-conference schedule, and you hope that doesn't come back to bite you down the road. And Syracuse didn't know. You can't help. This was not a game scheduled last year. Georgetown put the schedule together, a lot of it, after Patrick Ewing became the head coach. This Syracuse-Georgetown was a four-game series that was scheduled a few years ago, so there's nothing you can do about it. you got to own up to the game. But, man, look at Syracuse is playing a team. that We mentioned the RPI, the strength of schedule. I mean, I'm just going to go through this quick. Georgetown beat Jacksonville who currently has an NCAA RPI of 324, beat them 73-57. Mount St. Mary's, which is right around the 300 mark in both Ken Palm and the RPI. Maryland Eastern Shore, current Ken Palm rating 344, current record 3-8. and eight. Richmond, the old Richmond Spiders, current record 2-8, and eight, a robust 261 in the NCAA's RPI ranking. That was a tough game for them, too, 82-76. Maine, 3-8, Ken Palm rating 335, beat them by 20. Coppin State, who's currently 0-11 and somehow has a better strength of schedule than Georgetown does. NCAA RPI ranking 311, Ken Palm rating 345, beat them by 16. Georgetown beat Howard, 81-67. Howard is currently 1-10. Ken Palm, 339, RPI 333. North Carolina, whoa, whoa, stop the bus. Whoa, we found a team with a winning record. North Carolina A&T, 5-4. Let's give it up to Georgetown. Woo! Ken Palm rating 324, NCAA RPI 136. Don't hurt yourself now. Syracuse is coming in looking like Duke compared to the teams that Georgetown has had on the non-conference slate so far. If it's working for you, it's working for you. If you got to build up confidence, you got to build up confidence. But in the grand scheme of things, this does not help Syracuse to play Georgetown this year other than, you know, stoke some old memories. And on that note, we'll take a break. We will discuss this more. We will discuss this game more. Not only today, but as we get closer to Saturday. I want to talk some football, though, next. Our good friend Matthew Fairburn, Syracuse.com, NYUp.com, 
on the Bills, the playoffs, how we're looking the last three weeks here. We've got some football to discuss, and we'll do it next. You're on the block. ESPN Radio. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. It's presented by SRC Incorporated. SRC is growing and looking for software or systems engineers. You can apply at SRCINC.com. Hit me with that fancy open. Let's do this thing, man. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for hot takes on the block. So I'm going to break my LeVar Ball rule again. In my don't talk about LeVar Ball, but I still talk about LeVar Ball rules because he just keeps doing things that have to present me with breaking the rules. And when I did it yesterday, it brought us the great line of, I can't keep track of my balls. On yesterday's show, right? I mean, out of context, that's an amazing quote right there. But I, that's hot. I couldn't. Yes, exactly. I couldn't keep track of Lamelo, Lonzo, uh, Lala. I just, I don't know. I'm just, they're they're crazy. But this is about Lavar, the dad, and Lonzo. I, I need one of those boards. You know, like when you watch a crime show. I love uh, Chicago PD, and they always got the whiteboard and like here's the suspect and this one and the and the tree of like how it breaks down. I need that for the Ball family. Okay, here's LeVar. He's the head of the family, and then it breaks down. Here's LaMelo and Lonzo and and Lala and Larry and I don't know. I'm, I'm losing track. Anyway, so apparently the Lakers had to have a little sit-down with LeVar Ball. As described here, the outspoken father of rookie point guard Lonzo Ball, you think, asking him to tone down some of his public criticisms of head coach Luke Walton and help create a more positive atmosphere Around his son, sources told ESPN's Ramona Shelburne. The meeting has taken place in the last few weeks, was called by Lakers president of basketball operations Magic Johnson and general manager Rob Palenka. Now, LeVar confirmed that the meeting took place, telling ESPN, quote, it was the best thing, man. Everyone's going to try to make it an ego thing. Like, I'm going to tell them what to do or they're going to tell me to tone it down. It's not about that. It's about coming together and to get a solution to the problem. Johnson and Palenka declined to comment when asked about the meeting. A Lakers insider said the main message to Ball was what they've tried to do to keep the relationship positive while still allowing him to speak his mind. And they'd prefer he did the same. So the Lakers had to have a little sit down with the father of a professional athlete. And when we discussed this at NBA draft time, I said, you're not just drafting Lonzo Ball. You are drafting Lonzo and LeVar and any other ball that wants to come by and get in the frame, right? As long as you know what you're getting into, as long as you know what you're signing up for, and being in L.A. and and basically LeVar structuring this so Lonzo got drafted by the Lakers. LeVar is now in this category that the Kardashians are, and I'm going to say this, okay? Stick to sports, Brent. Yay, democracy. But you know what LeVar has a lot in him? Trump. He's got a lot of Trump in him. Say things to get attention, get reaction out of people, and it just works because no matter what, they're talking about you. It's a reality show thing, right? Just keep talking about me. Now, that also leads to your son signing professional basketball contracts in Lithuania, as if that's a good thing, but 
once you get drunk on attention, you can't get sober from it. It's just certain people that will do whatever they can to stay on the lips, to stay on the thumbs, if you will, of people tweeting and just stay relevant, stay in the conversation, particularly with how quickly news cycles go today. Used to be the 24-hour news cycle, then the 12-hour news cycle. Now it's like 12 minutes. And he's doing that. And all this stuff that leaks and here and there, and we in the media, as I have said a number of times, I I feel like i got to take a shower every time I do this because we're the problem in this. We are the ones that feed this. We are the ones that keep it going. I'm keeping it going by talking about it now. But when it's newsworthy, I think you've got to discuss it. I don't really talk about LeVar Ball unless I think it's just something so ridiculous that it has to be discussed or it's somewhat newsworthy. A professional basketball team in a well-sourced article from a really good reporter having to have a sit-down with the father of a rookie saying, you got to tone it down for us. To me, that's fascinating. That's hot. And unfortunately, is LeVar Ball. So I keep breaking my LeVar Ball. I should find myself. We should have a fine jar in here. And every time, like a swear jar, right? We need a LeVar jar. Ooh, that kind of rhymes, too. See, we're on Facebook Live now. And we've got some props that we're adding to the studio. We've got some pictures we're going to hang up. And, you know, you're going to see this place get, you know, a little more dolled up for, you know, for television, if you will, for Facebook Live. Seth, there's a prop right there. LeVar jar. We'll put it right here next to me every day. Like I got my water bottle here. And if I can't resist talking about LeVar Ball or the Ball family, I got to put a dollar in the LeVar jar. I'll own up to that because sometimes it's worth it to stick a dollar in the LeVar jar. Maybe we'll find a charitable cause for the LeVar jar. They wouldn't get much money because I... I tend to resist doing it. But this week, I would have owed somebody about five bucks already. All right. So Aaron Rodgers could come back this weekend. He has been medically cleared to return from a broken right collarbone. The Packers quarterback made it official Tuesday night, the eve of the first practice in advance of Sunday's game at Carolina, making the announcement, as people tend to do in 2017, on Instagram after a long day of discussion with medical personnel led by the team uh, team physician. A day earlier, Mike McCarthy said that Rodgers underwent tests to determine how much his surgically repaired collarbone had healed, saying, quote, it's now in the evolution stage, Dr. M- I can talk today, evaluation stage. Dr. McKenzie's reviewing it. There's a number of medical opinions that will be involved in this. Not according to Rodgers. Rodgers says, I'm ready to go. I'm medically cleared. Put me on the football field. How about this, by the way? With news of Rodgers' return, how do you think this affected Vegas? Right now, the Packers are 40-1 to to go to the Super Bowl. How do you think the news of Rodgers' return to the football field, mind you, he has not been out there most of the year. He's coming back from a broken collarbone. He's not 100%, but he is medically cleared. He hasn't been on the field. Even Aaron Rodgers can be rusty. So if they're 40-1 to now, what's the Rodgers factor in terms of Vegas? And remember, it's not that Vegas believes this, it's that Vegas wants your money. They're now 20 to 1 to go to the Super Bowl. They were 20 to 1 without Rodgers to win the NFC. They're now 10 to 1 to win the NFC. Two and a half point underdogs against the Panthers in week 15. The spread would have been plus nine and a half with Brett Hundley starting. 
Do I want Brett Hundley or do I want maybe kind of 75% still rusty Aaron Rodgers? The answer to that question is Aaron Rodgers. The answer to that question is always Aaron Rodgers. The answer to that question is if Aaron Rodgers is the knight from Monty Python and he'll bite your bloody leg off and he's got a leg missing and an arm missing and he can throw the football, the answer is Aaron Rodgers. That's hot. Particularly when my other answer is Brett Hundley, who I think has made some throws and has looked pretty good. But the answer is Aaron Rodgers. So I found this interesting. And another, uh, if we ranked the people we've talked about the most in this hot take segment since I started doing it a couple years ago, Johnny, Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel would be, I don't know, voice guy. What do you think? Number three. I think that's about right. I, I think he'd be top three. Now, we have a Johnny Football update because the commissioner of the CFL, the Canadian Football League, Randy Ambrose said Wednesday that he felt good about a conversation in September with quarterback Johnny Manziel, but is awaiting the results of a multifaceted expert analysis before deciding whether to approve Manziel to play in the league. Manziel's rights are currently held exclusively by the Hamilton Tiger, 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 Cats. He triggered a process over the summer that would require the tiger, 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 cats. Come on, I got to do that, man. Can you just change your name to the Thundercats and get it over with here? That's a spectacular name. Isn't that redundant, by the way? Tiger cats? Anyway. So uh, the tiger, 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 cats offered him a contract or relinquish his rights. So they've got exclusive rights to him. But the commissioner stepped in to ensure what he called a thorough and thoughtful discussion about Manziel's eligibility to play in the CFL. Now, the CFL is in an interesting spot here because surely they could use the publicity of Johnny Manziel playing in it. Now, the CFL is a pretty popular league in Canada. They do well television-wise, attendance-wise. It's I don't know how I would frame it. It's not as popular as hockey, but the CFL actually does pretty well up there. And every time they show the Grey Cup, which was about a month ago, right? It's always in a blizzard and 20 feet of snow and, you know, Saskatchewan, right? I love to watch the Grey Cup. I never know when it's coming, but you're just, you know, flipping around on a random Sunday night. Like, oh, it's a Grey Cup. You're overthinking this, CFL. We felt good about our conversation. A multifaceted expert analysis. We need to have... A thorough and thoughtful discussion. Look, bleeper, get off the pot, man. It's Johnny Manziel That's hot. in the CFL, in the snow, in Saskatchewan for the Tiger, 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 Tiger Cats. Stop thinking and start doing. I need to see Jonathan Football play in the Grey Cup, in 20 feet of snow, in Hamilton. Okay? Stop overthinking this. A thoughtful and thorough discussion. No, just sign the guy. What are we doing here? Man, get busy living or get busy dying. I just dropped the red quote on you, CFL. Get me the general manager of the Hamilton. Just one more time. Can I just, just one more time? Tiger, 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 cats. Let's get on this. Let's make things happen. What are we waiting for? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Scott Boris, one of the most powerful agents in baseball, uh, describing what he believes the Miami Marlins to be. Take a listen. And you would hope that 
ownership, new ownership, that MLB would screen the ownership so that we have an ownership that comes in and provides additions. You, know, you, you heard the players on that team say, if we could get pitching, we could add pitching. And we all know that pitching's available. If we could add pitching with the core of players that are ages 25 to 28, young players with, with the designs of many, many hardworking people in this game try to build a core that is that age. And they come in and they redirect. So you're, you're not a jewelry store that's coveting your diamonds. You now become a pawn shop that is trying to pay the rent of the building rather than focusing on the diamonds and growth that you covet. That is perfect. That is perfect. Just the fact that one of the most powerful agents, and not only all of baseball, all of sports, had to describe what the Miami Marlins are doing. And the best analogy he could come up with, and he nailed it, was a pawn shop. But that's exactly what they are. You're getting rid of things. You've got to pay the rent. You've got this big expensive thing, but it's the best thing in the shop. And you know no one could afford it, so you got to get rid of it. And you've got to call somebody who you know is going to come by, and you're just trying to get by. And then the landlord comes by. He's like, I need my rent again. Now, the one thing I'll say, that stadium is far from a pawn shop. That stadium is, I'll just say, unique. That Marlin Stadium, is it's, it's like a bad acid trip. And they spent a lot of public money on that thing. And Miami Marlin fans. Now, Miami is such an interesting market because Miami doesn't care. We'll just go to the beach. We'll just go to South Beach. We'll just do 50 other things we can do in Miami other than go to sports. In Miami, you've got to be fair weather. In Miami, you've got to have LeBron James. You've got to have Dan Marino. You've got to appeal somehow, some way, to the fair-weather fans that exist in that market. Even the Florida Panthers have made, have made pardon me, successful Stanley Cup runs at times. And they remember the Rats, and you know they exist, and there's a, enough of a fan base there to at least support it and be there, but it's a fair-weather town. And that stadium, okay, like for two years, everybody's like, hey, that's the place to be, but now you got a team of, of players that you bought at a pawn shop. And Derek Jeter comes in, and Derek Jeter, you know, look, he's not off to a good start there. I think we all knew he was going to get rid of Stanton, but to send him to the Yankees and the optics of that and getting, you know, nothing in return for him, all the people that they fired. Do you see that story about Jeter just swept out a bunch of people, and one of them was a scout who was in the hospital. He had cancer. That doesn't look good. So Jeter, who's kind of, you know, the face of this team now, has bought this team has to explain these moves, be the public face. He's not at the winter meetings to explain himself, and they catch him in the booth at Monday Night Football at the Dolphins-Patriots game. It's like, man, you've been there for like a week, and you keep – this is Derek Jeter, one of the most distinguished athletes we've seen, you know, who could do no wrong on the field. It is amazing, though, when you put people in positions that know sports that are above their pay grade, if you will, that – and it's hard to be above Derek Jeter's pay grade, but – you know, like for a while, John Elway was a genius. If you really look at what's going on with Denver and John Elway and his area of expertise, they haven't found a quarterback. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? 
it's amazing how some athletes could put in certain positions and we are still awed by what they did in other walks of life to be successful. But when you look at their body of work, Michael Jordan, for example, what has he done for Charlotte? He owns a team. They're kind of good. They're still there. Like, it's amazing how you can be the most successful person on the field at what you do, but you give them a team to run and they're, you know, and these are the guys. I Did you read the Jordan rules? How much Jordan used to just lambaste Jerry Krause, the general manager of that team, God rest his soul, thinking he could do what he does. And then you get in that position. You're like, oh, this isn't so easy. Now, I want to give Jeter time here. He's only been there for 10 minutes, but it's not going so well so far. Running a pawn shop, according to Scott Boris. And on that note, we will take a break. I discussed this a little earlier in the show, but I want to get back to it. I'm kind of over Syracuse, Georgetown. I have come to that conclusion. We'll discuss next. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye.